Hey, Chrissy here. I am a landscape architect and the owner of Kismet Design. I am a very process-driven designer, and I love sharing what I do and how I do it with anyone who's interested. Reaching your true potential and achieving your own personal goals will not happen by chance. You have to set your intentions, make a plan, and do the work. Thank you for joining me to nerd out on design. Don't forget to subscribe and to share too. Let's create something great together. I am so excited to welcome Sarah Meyer to the podcast. She is a landscape designer and the owner of Green Thumb Sam. She works in Boise, Idaho, although she started her career in the Seattle area originally. Her work has been featured in the book Plan Graphics for the Landscape Designer by Tony Bartowski. I have been drooling over her Instagram for a long time now, and I am dazzled and delighted to get the chance to talk with her, learn more about her process, and nerd out on design. Be sure to follow her Instagram to see her amazing work. Welcome. Thank you so much for your time. And I also wanted to thank you for um, sharing my podcast all the time and promoting it. I really appreciate it. I've gotten a ton of feedback from people that have found me because of you. Um, So again, thank you. Um, To start out, um, if you want to just tell us a little bit more about yourself and your business before we jump in. Yeah. Yeah. So I started Green Thumb Sam in Boise, Idaho about six years ago. Well, this will be my seventh year in business here. And previous to that, I started Lunaria Landscape Design in Issaquah, uh, the east side area uh, in 2001. And what happened was, is that I took horticulture in high school as an easy elective. I thought it would be easy and it was easy, but what ended up happening was that I fell in love with it just absolutely. And I think it had a lot to do with the teacher because his name was uh, John Page, Mr. Page. And he was only teaching horticulture because his wife was out on maternity leave and she was the one who usually taught it. And he was usually the agriculture teacher. But we had so much fun in that class playing like plant ID around the world with slides up. And so I learned all the Latin names, you know, as a freshman in high school. And then I just took every class that I could from him because I enjoyed it so much. And then as soon as I got my driver's license, I knew exactly where I wanted to work would be at a nursery, right? Water some plants. And once you have a car, you have to pay for insurance and car payments. And so I got my first job at a little nursery called Boondocks Nursery out in Black Diamond and I watered. And then the winter came and I was let go because I was, you know, high school student. So the next summer I got a job at Malone's Landscape and Nursery out in Maple Valley, Washington. And in the winter I wasn't let go. So I got to fold up all of the designers landscape designs and help write up bids and contracts. And I found that really, really interesting. Well, while I was at Malone's, I got secret shop by Hayes Nursery and someone from the staff came in and asked me questions about plants and they found out that I knew what I was doing. And so they stole me away, which was great. And Hayes Nursery was a great little uh, five acre nursery in Issaquah, Washington at the base of Tiger Mountain. So just at the base of Poo Poo Point there where the paragliders jump off and come down. It's really magical working there. And the owner, Claire Hayes, 
when I was a senior in high school said, hey, there's a landscape design program at South Seattle College, and I'll pay for that for you if you give me two years of your time in return. So that was like the first big grown-up contract I ever signed, right? Kind of scary. <laughs> but I signed that contract, uh, went to school, kept working at the nursery, and then I ended up staying for 15 years, and I just enjoyed it. So, you know, all the way from watering, um, and then in the winters, I would put Christmas lights on the wire deer frames <laughs> to keep myself employed through the winter, and went all the way up to, you know, teaching all the new hires and doing their social media, and it was fantastic. And then when I got out of school, I started Lunaria Landscape Design, and I'd work my full 40-hour week, and at the end of the day, I'd get off work and go over to people's houses and consult with them, because we had so many people coming into the nursery that would be like, hey, so I've got this bed out front, and this was before cell phones, right? So sometimes they'd bring in a grainy picture. They'd just make a little, you know, they'd tell me it was five feet by 10 feet. What do I put in here? And I'd run out to the evergreen shrub section and the deciduous shrubs and, you know, lay out five of this and seven of that and do a little sketch. And they'd be like, great. Can you just follow me home now and place the plants? Put it all where it needs to go. Yep. And so I would, I'd get done with work and I'd follow, you know, 21, follow these people back to their houses, place their plants, get paid for it. And seems kind of sketchy now because you know I just had like the map book to find my way around <laughs> you don't um, realize it at the time though no not at all uh so that was great and then I draw plans on the weekend and present them to clients and then when it came time to order the plants I could order all the plants from all my favorite vendors and bring them in and then go place them and the people would usually plant them so it was a really good experience and currently I offer landscape design and consultation and um, local contractors refer me, uh, certain nurseries refer me, other designers refer me, and then I've just built my business through word of mouth, and it's been great. And I've got two kiddos, sixth grade and third grade, and I've got a really supportive husband who's been with me from the very beginning. I mean, he bought me my first six-foot drafting table from Boeing Surplus Supply and sanded it all down and painted the base and so he's been instrumental in my career and just helping me. That's how I have, you know, my office with my two drafting tables and it's like my dedicated space. So I have a Boeing surplus drafting table as well, that I got in high school. Yeah. It's I love them. Beast of a piece of furniture, but it's oh, great. <laughs> oh yeah. We ended up giving that original one away. And then I had a, a client who lived uh, on Tiger Mountain, who was a draftsman for Boeing. And he said, I've got this really nice table. If you would like it, I'm not using it anymore. And he gifted that to me. And that's my current one. And I just absolutely love it. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, so tell me a little bit about why, when you moved to Boise, um, you decided to change your business name. Okay. So Lunaria is the botanical name for money plant, right? So when I was 19, 20, I thought that was really funny <laughs> to be Lunaria Landscape Design. And when we moved here... I found out that somebody at the Idaho Botanical Garden also had a great sense of humor. And so they had made a Lunaria Garden Grant Fund, which was a nonprofit uh, grant fund for people who wanted to do horticulture programs So, and projects. And so instead of um, keeping my name, I decided to go with Green Thumb Sam. And that was on the advice of my husband, because he said, if I ever wanted to retire, Green Thumb Sam could cover any type of horticultural service. So 
if I want to sell the business, that's a good, you know, gender neutral covers it all type name, yeah. which is true. And my nickname is Sam um, from my grandpa. And then it's also my initials. So green thumb Sam it is. Nice. Um, at first, I, I will be honest, when I when I started following you on Instagram, I was like, her name is Sarah, but it's Green Thumb Sam. Why is it Sam? And then I finally figured it out. Um, but I think I think it's perfect. And it's a, you know, cute name. And I, I think it goes well. And I like, I like the intentional thought of the succession plan that if, if you ever wanted to sell the business or sell the name, you could without having it be, you know, if it was Sarah Meyer, then, you know, that's, much less marketable. It'd have to be, uh, it kind of dies with you when you decide you're done. Right. He's a, he's a smart one. That husband of mine. Uh, also there's so many other Sarah's. So I go by Sarah A. Meyer because my mm. sister-in-law's name is also Sarah Meyer. So just a good distinction. Yeah. Nice. I like it. Um, so I've been drooling over your Instagram for, I don't know how long now. And I love how artful your presentation drawings are. They're just gorgeous. Um, but I can imagine how much time it takes to put those drawings together. Um, what processes and tactics do you use and have in place to increase your efficiency while not sacrificing the quality and the beauty of your drawings? So I think the biggest thing is I practice good communication with my clients and um, I schedule them. So it's so fun listening to your podcast and hear that you do it pretty much the same way because if I don't give myself deadlines, of course, uh, things won't get done. They will get done, but they'll get done at my pace, not what it should be. Oh, you could just uh, pour hours and hours into something and constantly tweak and change and add if, if you don't have a deadline looming. Right, so if I've got a couple of different projects, like I've got the two different drafting tables, um, I'll work on one, client's project on the big drafting table and then I'll have the smaller one and once I finished one I move it to the smaller one I don't put it on the main desk so that that way I don't want to go back and tweak it because I'm most comfortable standing at the big drafting table than I am at the little one so that kind of keeps me away from it for a while uh, the other thing that I do is like you I do all my measurements um, to scale for my base map and I usually use the eighth inch architect scale for that but then that way I don't have any, you know, questions or loopholes that I have to close later when I get back to my desk, I've done everything on site. And I lay out my measuring tapes, like I've got two 300 footers and probably, I've got two 300, three 200, and then probably four or 500 foot tape measures. And I'll lay them out um, almost in a grid pattern across the yard so that I can just go, shoot where all the trees are located um, and get it all down. And then that way I'm not moving tapes here and there and here and there. So I can just walk around the yard and get it all done. So that's been really efficient to help get measuring done faster. Um, and then that way, when I bring back my base map, I can just throw my flimsy or my trace paper over the top of it, do my conceptual plan real quick to figure out traffic movement, all the elements they wanna fit in. And then I can throw my, um, the second, piece of flimsy over the top of that and do my first preliminary plan um, and come out with some good ideas for that and then do my second preliminary plan. And while I'm doing that, I usually have, um, I usually have my monitor. Um, I have all of their pictures pulled up on that so that I can just click through those 
And then I usually have another tab open with Pinterest where I've already pinned ideas uh, because a lot of times when I'm measuring, I'll be like, oh, over here, I'll do a voice recording or I'll take a video and I'll be like, oh, over here, we have a view to the foothills. So we need to put in some tall ornamental grasses so that, you know, the eye is elevated to that or uh, a cool piece of art in this area so that when they're looking out the kitchen window, they can see that. So I have all of that down when I'm drawing and it's just, you know, it's just like, you know, it's the best puzzle in the world to put together. So those are a few of the processes that I um, do. Another thing that I do is I block out solid time for drawing. So I have a, a daily and a weekly schedule that I follow. But when I block out time for drawing, the kids know and my husband knows that when these doors shut, nobody bothers me because mm -hmm. if I make a mistake, I can't, I can't undo it. Right. I'm, I'm doing my final plans on vellum. Like it doesn't matter so much on the preliminary plans or conceptual plans, but when I get down to work with ink and vellum, I, I can't be bothered. Yeah. Yeah. So they don't, they don't bug me. Um, and I arrange all of my technical pens and line weight. So they're all in like a black tray and then they've got little post-its that have all of the line weights and they're divided out so that when I'm just going through stuff, um, like I'm doing trees, I know I want my heavier line weights and work my way down to like, you know, 0 0.03 for all my labeling. Yeah. I um, love I that. Yeah. I stick my drafting dots to my shirt so that they're ready to go because I'm usually using so many different pieces of trace paper or moving my base map around that if I stick it to my shirt first, then it's got the fuzzies on it so that when I go to remove it, it doesn't rip the paper. Um, I always wipe down my T-squares and my triangles first so that there's no extra ink on them to nice smear and clean. The and... Yep. Yep. Um, a lot of times I'll use the cheater paper under my hand when I'm labeling so that I don't smear anything so that my hand glides effortlessly across the paper. Yeah. So that's some of the, that's some things that I do to make it go a little bit faster. Yeah. I, my kids are about around the same age and I've got the same rule. If my door is closed, you do not knock, you do not open it. You don't slip notes under the door unless there's blood bones or fire. Right. It has and... got to be a, a dire situation for them to come in or bug me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and especially, I mean, more so when you're, when you're doing hand drafting, because like you said, you can't, you can't undo that and you can't just, oh, oops, I'll erase that or delete. Like it doesn't work. Yeah. I, um, I did a beautiful plan. I was all done. I had my title block done. My reference, my scale was all done. It was beautiful. I stamped it and I went back through the folder of notes one last time and read anything but flagstone on the front patio. And I had done a flagstone patio because oh, I had no. flagstone stuck in my head. So I just uh, traced over it, cut out a little piece of vellum, made my dimensional pavers, um, put that over it, took it to the print shop, glue sticked it down and said, Anthony, I hope this works. And he goes, oh, it'll be fine. Glue sticked it down, came out just fine in the, in the print. So that was great. I you know, back when I went to school, we were still doing the blue line drawings. And so a lot of times we would cut out flimsy or trace paper in the canopy of the trees and spray adhesive them down or glue stick them down to make the shade for the canopy. Mm. So that's always kind of a fun thing to add to a plan that you wouldn't normally do is um, gluing another element onto it and then making a copy. Yeah. 
Um, have you ever tried using mylar instead of vellum? I have not. I have not. Um, I've looked at it. I've touched it. I've thought about buying it. And then I thought, you know, when you have a paying client and you want to make good use of your time and you have children that require your time, yeah. uh, it's kind of like learning digital drawing for me. It's like, I know what works and I've got a process and I know how to go through it pretty quickly. Um, yeah. so I, I haven't messed with it, but I would be interested to try it when I have more time. I used it a lot in college because I am a terrible speller and I would misspell things all the time and need to erase. And even with my markers, you could erase it and oh. it doesn't oh. tear. And, but the color is, it's harder to get the colors to blend the way I liked. So that was it took, it was a learning curve with the color, but it was really nice for, especially the, the line work for construction details and things like that to, to be able to erase without just destroying the vellum. Oh, well, I might have to try it now. <laughs> it's, it's worth at least trying. Mm -hmm. um, so I also, uh, speaking of like kids and family, um, I had listened to a podcast episode that you were on. Um, let's see, I wrote it down. Uh, landscapes and pancakes yeah with the and, Igma design group yes um and one of the things that you said on there uh just really like resonated with me because I had that same exact thought um that when your kids were old enough that they were full-time in school that that would be kind of your your tipping point for being able to do more with your business and that was always my thought like once my kids are in school then I'll I'll go into business for myself and funny enough, like that's what happened, but I don't know that it really made that much of a difference on like my time or my ability to do things. It didn't really change. Um, but I was wondering if, if you felt like it was, you know, really made a big impact or if it's just more of a mindset shift. You know, I think it's just more of a mindset shift because it did not work out for me. Like the first two years we were here in Boise, uh, we're at such a high elevation uh, it's considered a step climate, so kind of high desert. Uh, we get maybe 11 inches of precipitation a year. And so, of course, the student in me wants to know everything about the area, everything about the plants, the design, how it all works. So I started taking all of the classes I possibly could through the botanical garden and local nurseries and just learning everything. And at a few of the botanical garden classes, I was asking some questions. And there were a few times that they pulled me aside and said, hey, it sounds like you might know a little more than the average student. Uh, would you be willing to teach some classes for us? And at that same time, my husband's coworker said, oh my gosh, we heard you're a landscape designer. You know, uh, Kyle talked all about you and we would really love to hire you to design our yard. And I didn't have a business license or anything here at that time. So at that point, the kids were still oh, three and five. So I think we were doing just kindergarten with the oldest. And um, I got my business license and formed an LLC and said, I'm just going to do this right from the beginning. And after that, I was just off and running because they referred me to like everybody in Boise. Mm -hmm. So that was a really nice connection. I do notice a huge difference now that they're in school full time, because I have those dedicated chunks of time to get work done. And it makes it a lot easier, say, when 3.30 comes and it's school pickup to just business is done. It's family time to just turn that off. Um, so definitely increased 
uh, time management on the greater side and profitability. Do you get much pushback from clients wanting to meet on nights and weekends? Because I assume you're the same as me because family is, you know, a priority nights and weekends. So I don't do anything. I mean, I, I won't even usually email anybody back on nights and weekends, even if I maybe should. Usually the only thing I'll do is occasionally on a weekend, I'll run payroll because I need to, but that's really it. Yeah. I try to keep that schedule. And I remember moving here and being in one of those classes at the botanical garden and it was co-taught with a interior designer. And I was just terrified at the prospect of how do people, how do people do this and not work weekends and evenings? Because when I worked full-time at the nursery, it was required of us to work at least one weekend day and we couldn't take any time off in between, um, you know, February through August. So we had to take all our vacations in the winter. And um, I remember this interior designer saying, if your work is good, people will wait for you and they'll make time for you. Just like any other professional that comes to your home and visits it, they will make time for you. And again, I was terrified, like I should be scheduling this stuff after they get home from work or you know, accommodating people more. And I just made a firm schedule of when I was available to work. And uh, if people really want you, they'll make time for it. And it has not been an issue at all. Yeah, I found the same thing. And really, if if they're able to set aside time to make it to the doctor and the dentist during their workday, they can, they can make time to meet with you as well. Right. And then you don't feel like you're, you're sacrificing your family time, which is always a little sad and discouraging. Uh, oh, very sad and discouraging. And it doesn't make you feel um, they're taking my time away that I would want to have to myself. So I feel a little miffed about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't have to when it's a set schedule. Yep, exactly. Um, what about, um, what would you say is the most rewarding part of being a landscape designer, but also being a business owner? So it's really a trifecta um, for me. I really, one of the best parts is just getting homeowners super excited about what they're doing and pumped that they're going to be creating habitat or a pollinator garden or uh, a place where their family can come and hang out, their friends can come and hang out and getting them to recognize all of their senses and, you know, what it'll look like and what it'll sound like and what it'll feel like to be in the space. I really like sharing that excitement with them. Uh, the other thing is I just really love to show and tell. I get really excited about what I do. And I was just telling my friend, uh, Carrie about when I was like 13 years old, I had my tarot cards read and it was my friend's mom who had a tarot card reader for us. And I listened to the tape probably about 10 years later. And she said, whatever you're doing, you're talking a lot and you're really excited about it. She said, you're not a preacher or a politician, but whatever it is, you're just talking, talking, talking and so fast and so excited about it. Um, and it really is getting paid to tell people uh, what I love about design and plants is that's huge. And then the third thing is making my own schedule. I mean, you can't, 
I can take off summers with my children and enjoy them because I don't think I'll ever look back and say, man, I wish I worked more, you know, I think it'll be like, I wish I would have hung out more with them. So yeah, making my own schedule is fantastic. That can't be beat. I still remember, I, I don't think it's on anymore, but I remember there was a, there used to be a commercial for, I think it was like Idaho parks department or something saying, um, basically like you only have 18 summers with your children. And I remember listening to that. And I think my son was maybe like one or two at the time he was pretty little. And I remember just thinking like how horrifying that was that I only had 18 summers with him and it was like, they're already running out. And so it is, it's nice to, to be able to take the time off and to not worry. It's like, oh, the kids get off school early today. Like I'm just going to call it a day right now. And you always find a a way and a time to do things. And I don't know if you're the same, but I've found that I'm accomplishing more while working less hours as a business owner than I was a little scared in starting my business that I would end up like being a slave to my office and just becoming like a workaholic because I do love it, but I don't want to be stuck in my office while, you know, my family's upstairs eating dinner and watching a movie or whatever. Like I want to enjoy that time too. And I was worried about that, but I found that it actually is the opposite. Do you feel the same? I do because I'm a big rule follower. And so if I make a rule for myself, I mean, if anybody else gives me a rule, I'm definitely going to follow it. So once I found out that I could make rules for myself and follow them, you know, like a daily schedule (laughs) or even a weekly schedule, uh, that gave me permission to just say no to that part of my brain that wants to keep going. Because I, yeah, I remember being in design school and pulling all nighters and, you know, staying up to get a project done or a design done. And I think that people with a really strong work ethic just want to do that. And um, possibly if you have the people pleasing aspect to you and you're an obliger, you will want to do that. Uh, But if I, you know, by making a rule for myself, that's just cuts that time off and it's like done, put that part away. And just now it's mom job. I call it mom job. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Well, and it, it really, it, it's hard to balance sometimes, but it having those boundaries and having those rules, because I'm the same way I'm a rule follower and I end up doing the same thing. Like with my schedule, I will typically, unless someone just really can't make it happen. Like I only do new client consultations on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I don't schedule any meetings outside of my office other than like a site visit for something at construction on Mondays. So I know I always have Mondays for planning and working on things because otherwise I get things get chaotic. And then I end up just kind of mushing everything all together in the week. And then I Friday comes and I'm like, what just happened? Right. I love, I love knowing what's going to happen the next day. So Mondays for me is very much an office day where I do overhead and catch up on, you know, if I need to get a little more drawing done, then I can do that. Uh, But Tuesdays and Thursdays for me are my consultation days. And then, because I can't, I can't do them back to back. I'll usually do, I can do two to three consultations in one day, um, but two days in a row is too much. So Wednesday is always my drawing day or office day. And then Friday is like, loose ends or go out with a friend for coffee and talk business or go for a walk with a friend. Or if my husband's in town, then I'll meet him for lunch and we'll go out to lunch and have like a day date. So having that schedule and and thinking, okay, what day is tomorrow when I get up, you know, besides all of my other responsibilities, being a mom, 
I know exactly what I'm going to be doing during the working hours. Yeah. Nice. What would you say is your biggest challenge in your business? Uh, making time for me <laughs> because I am a people pleaser. and a, I think that's a mom obliger. thing, not a business thing though. Right. If I don't have someone to hold me accountable, I'm definitely the last person in line. So having a schedule and allowing myself to get certain things done during the day has really helped with that. Uh, and my friend Sierra told me something. She's also an obliger. And she said, you know, if, if something is any less than an hour, I just told myself, you don't get to worry about it or stress over it. So I like yeah. that. I thought that was a great rule. Um, yeah. I, I get anxious when it comes to vacation time because, you know, I've scheduled that time off. But still in the back of my mind, I've, I've got like, you know, I've got like, uh, I've got this list of clients that are waiting on me when I get back. So that makes me a little, a little anxious. That's a challenge. Uh, but like this last time we went to the Oregon coast for Christmas and I, I took my base maps and I took my flimsy and I took my tackle box full of technical pens and markers. And I whipped out two sets of preliminary plans while we were there and just rolled them back up in the tube and brought them home. And that was that was good because at that point in time, you know, the kids and the husband were busy playing games or going for a walk or doing whatever. So I got to have my creative outlet time. And then that made me feel less anxious about taking time off. Do you find that because you hand draft, it makes it harder to take work with you places? Cause I bring my laptop almost everywhere I go. Right. And whether I work on something or not, I, there's, it's like a comfort blanket, knowing that I have the ability to, if I'm, you know, have a good idea or thinking about something or have the time and I can, you know, get something done really quickly. Um, but hand drafting, like there's a lot more involved to be able to take that stuff and prepare for that. Right. It's, it's, it's a lot more to take and prepare. Um, I'm definitely not taking my T-square with me anywhere because I'm afraid it'll get bent. Right. Yeah. But I do so much on-site sketching and mobile drawing that I have a pretty good mobile setup. If I uh, have a car with me, if we're flying anywhere, then I will take my laptop, but I don't do any digital drawing. Uh, so like we just got back from two weeks in Florida and we got to spend some time with my husband's family for a week. And then we tagged along uh, on a work trip that he had. And I had two big classes to give at the Idaho Nursery and Landscape Association in front of all the industry professionals. And so, you know, I usually do my presentations in Google Slides and that's where all my information is. But I mean, why not make things harder on myself and learn Canva, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I put together two presentations while we were on vacation and that was fantastic having my laptop with me and being able to do that because I also had to have the kids doing their schoolwork because, you know, they're breaking the rules and missing school for at least eight days. So it'd be fun. We'd go down to the lobby and I'd work on my presentation and they'd do their stuff. And But I know that's why a lot of designers have switched over to digital drawing. And um, I absolutely love it. And of course, just because I like trying new things, I would love to tackle it. But again, it's one of those things where I have to weigh my time and I know that I can draw way faster by hand right now as opposed to the time it would take me to yeah. learn you know a digital drafting or yeah. drawing program I am a huge advocate for digital drafting even though I myself prefer hand drafting I 
don't do, I mean, I do my preliminary sketches just in-house, but no, no presentation drawings go to a client hand-drafted. But I think your drawings are way too beautiful. I would never encourage you to switch, <laughs> even oh. though I would encourage like 99% of designers to switch, but your drawings are too pretty. You need to keep oh, hand-drafting just so you. I can drool over them, if nothing else. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, You know, my family might have something to say when I die because I've got a flat file that's got like, you know, 20 years of hand-drawn plans in it and then you know all of the flimsies and preliminary plans that go with it and so just within the last couple of years if someone if a client really enjoys the process and I can tell that they're into it and they give you the famous I'm going to frame this line yeah uh, I'll offer them their preliminary plans and any sketches that I've done their conceptual stuff so that I don't have to hoard that anymore I can give that to them and they can enjoy it well then you I have a hard time throwing things away even if I print something and I end up printing it again because I, you know, I needed to add or change something, I still have a hard time throwing it away, even though I can print, you know, as many infinite number of copies as I want. It's, and I think hand drafting would be even harder. Like I, I would end up, you know, at the end of my career, having like a whole storage room of drawings. Yeah. Well, there'll be certain instances where I'm like, oh my gosh, I just love how I drew this patio and this furniture and table set, or, you know, this car. Sometimes if I do their specific car on their plan. Mm -hmm. So like I've done like a Miata and, you know, different Subarus and I'll get the clip art and scale it all down and figure out what I got to draw, but I will save those. I'll, I'll cut them out from the plan and I'll save those as a template mm. so that if I ever need to use those later on, all those special elements I'll save as a template. And then I can just slide it right underneath the vellum, trace over the top of it, and then I'm good to go. Well, and I'm sure that that probably saves a good amount of time and efficiency being able to just have some of those, you know, kind of like in a CAD program, you've got your blocks already set. So you can just cut, copy, and paste, but having some of those things that you can be like, oh, I've got this car or this truck, or, you know, if they've got an RV or something, having some of those things already done and set so you can just trace them probably helps a lot with efficiency. Oh, helps a lot. That's how I build my uh, plant and materials lists. I'll have the sizes that I want and I'll have the general outline. Um, and, you know, just like you, you build your library with your shrubs and the different symbols yeah. that you use for them. I've got the same symbols for the different shrubs that I use, but it just comes out of me. Yeah. But yeah, I can slide a like plant material list, just the outline for it underneath my vellum and then just write in all the names um, and put my symbols down. And also my title block and my lines is all based on the size of my T-square so that it's uniform every time when I do it. That's big time saving. So do you draw your title block on each sheet or do you have a title block template set up that you have printed onto your vellum? Oh no, I draw each title. I draw everything that goes on each plan every time. So it is fully 100% original creation each time. Yeah. My husband will say, so, okay, so what do you got? What do you got left on this one? And I'll always be like, I got title block reference and scale. And then I'm done. <laughs> nice. What would be your most valuable piece of advice that you would give someone in the industry just starting out or just finishing school? I would say get a job at a nursery or a garden center because you learn how to deal with people. Uh, you know, you get so many questions and so many situations about plant health, plant care, plant pests, design problems, 
that could be how to solve, how do I block my neighbors? What plants do I use for that? Uh, you learn how to deal with people very efficiently and keep them focused on what they need to do. And you learn all your plants because there's nothing like touching and feeling plants to learn them. And if you're there and you're watering them or you're moving them around a table or someone's tapped you to be a buyer and you're reading an availability and all of those scientific names, it's an education that you can't quite get from school. Yeah. Yeah. Like I was a certified professional horticulturist um, through the WSNLA and fantastic program. And I love that organization. And I wish that we had that um, certification here. Here we have a certified nursery professional, which doesn't quite read the same to the general public. And so any certification that you can get, any hands-on learning that you can get. And I've just found that at a garden center, you get it all. You get a whole well-rounded education there. Yeah. My very first internship that I had was for a landscape architecture firm that was design build. And they also had a nursery. And I loved like on my lunch break, I would take my sandwich and go walk around the nursery and look at things. And it was so nice to be able to see the plants and really feel that connection to it. And I would end up like the same thing. Like people would see that I belonged there. They would see that I had been there multiple times. They'd like, you must work here. And they'd ask me all kinds of questions and stuff. And it was, it was really great. And there's something about, I mean, even now, like plant shopping days are just glorious. Like I love wandering the nursery. I could get lost for hours, Um, but it's nice to have that connection, be able to touch and feel things. And having a garden of your own is also really important to be able to see how things do. Cause not everything performs the way it does on the plant tag. Oh, and not everything stays, you know, four to five feet by four to five feet, like the tag says, right? Yeah. So that's fun because we can learn uh, different applications and how to use certain plants if they do get larger, like, you know, where you're at rhododendrons, you can limb them up and walk underneath them and they can be small trees and it can become a really cool element once you know what each plant is going to do. So you probably get stopped by your kids. I mean, when I'm walking through a parking lot, even sometimes I'll stop and I'll have my phone out and I'll be taking pictures, you know, and they're like, mom, come on. Oh yes. You don't need eight (laughs) pictures of that plant. I'll, I get the same thing. And my husband too, like we'll go on vacation and every now and then I'll talk him into going to like an arboretum or a, a garden of some sort. And I'm like, that's love. Like he does not care about the plants. And it, it's funny. Cause he'll say like, he'll say a plant name and he's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I know that. And I was like, mm, yep. Yep. You're mine. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Their uh, husbands are great that way. My, we got married at the Rhododendron Species Botanical Garden. Oh, beautiful. And uh, Federal Way. And he had worked at the nursery with me while he was going through college. So he's he's kind of lost touch with some of the plants at this point in time, but he always indulges me as well. And so that's really nice. And the kids, um, I started realizing when we were walking into Fred Meyer, And they started wanting to hold my hands or any other store that would carry, you know, some big box plants. We'd walk in that back entrance by the garden center and they'd want to hold my hand. And I just thought, oh, they just love me so much. And then I figured out that they were trying to keep me away (laughs) from veering into the garden center to go look at plants. Lead mom away from the plants. (laughs) Yeah. You got to get out of here. Yep. Thanks guys. But now, you know, all spirea is diarrhea and they think they're hilarious. 
I love it. Gotta love the the sixth grade humor for sure. Yep. What do you do for yourself to create processes to get into a flow state for design to maximize your creativity and efficiency? And that is such a great question because I have to have certain things in order to be able to draw. (laughs) So the night before, since I have a home-based office, the dishes have to be done. You know, Um, the laundry doesn't necessarily need to be folded or put away, but the kitchen has to be clean it just like frees up space in my brain. So I'm not worried about what's going on out in the kitchen. Um, And then I'll make an espresso and I'll grab my water and I usually listen to dub reggae. So I'll put on some dub reggae. And that's just always been what I've drawn to because there's really no words to it. It's just a beat. So you can just kind of get into a groove. Good flow state. Yep. Great flow state. I usually roll on the roller to like knock all the kinks out because I stand up when I draw. So I try to loosen up my shoulders and my arms. So I'll get on the roller and do some rolling and I'll do, you know, some light yoga sequences with forward bends and cat cow and try to get my back to pop and loosen up because when you have your hands out in front of you so much, you put a lot of strain on your back and neck and shoulders and then pruning for so many years too with the right hand. Um, you know, as I get older and I notice that my hands will start to get numb sometimes. So I do all of those things. Um, and then I shut my doors and just, (laughs) if anyone's home, I just make sure that, that no one's around. I just take a couple deep breaths and I get my base map squared up on the table and I tape it down. And then I put my piece of vellum over the top of it and go to town on my final drawing. So when I'm drawing and like super into what I'm drafting, I get what I refer to as the CAD hunch, where I start out with nice, good posture, and I'm looking at my screens. And then over time, I find that I'm like the hunchback of Notre Dame, like with my face, like inches from my screen, and it just slowly gets worse and worse. Then I stand up and I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel like I'm 90. Do you get the same thing? Oh, totally. I'll, I'll have to stop and just extend my arms back and out behind me and just like get my chest and shoulders to open up because yeah, I'll get hunched over the desk. I'll start walking around it to get to different areas. And I can just hear, uh, you know, my teacher from design school, I can just hear bud going, sit up, take deep breaths, elevate your chest, relax, let it flow through you. So yeah, I always, I always have to check myself too. Yeah. It's hard because I, I get so into it and like, my phone will ring and I won't even hear it because I'm just so focused and, but I, I end up hunching so bad. And I would imagine at my drafting desk, I mean, it's been a long time since I've hand drafted, but when I'm doing sketches, I, I, I think it's almost worse because I have my screens all elevated so that they're up high. So Mm -hmm. I don't, I can't like focus down, but at a drafting desk, like I'd be like laying on my drawing probably. Yeah. There's times where I find myself like almost in a ball, like, why are you in a fetal position? What is so important (laughs) that you're all scrunched up about this? And if a few years back when my son was five, you know, we were just playing and I picked him up and I threw him in the air and spun him around. And then all of a sudden, like, "Mm." I just had, I pinched a nerve in my neck and I had never, ever felt pain like that before. And I had this huge landscape plan that I was working on and it was the final and there was no way I couldn't get it done. So I pushed beyond and, you know, spent like two full days uh, doing all the line work. And then of course, coloring and rendering. 
and uh, <laughs> went to the chiropractor and got the x-ray and everything. And it was like, oh yeah, no, you can't. <laughs> you have to, you have to stop and take breaks and really open everything back up. So that's been yeah. really important. Well, and I'm sure incorporating some yoga and even the roller will help a lot, but yes. And lots of water, lots and lots of water to keep everything fluid and, and floating. Um, not that it needs to be incorporated, but I'm just curious. Mm -hmm. Um, what is your favorite you? I'm looking, trying to look at your markers behind you. Oh, use AD markers. Um, I do. I use the chart pack AD markers. I really like those. Um, they're xylene based. They have a very strong smell to them. So I have a air filter in my office because they can tend to give me a headache. Um, I love those. The saturation on those can't be beat. And when I was in school, uh, down in Kent was Royal Reprographics. And that's where I would go get my blueprints and also where I would get my prints for my clients. And they always had them for sale by the each. And so I stocked up and after there's some of them after 20 years that still work just fine. But I am also kind of a, uh, have an art supply hoarding condition. And there's a fantastic uh, art warehouse here in the Boise area. It's called Quality Art. And they have uh, the Spectrum Noir markers, which are mm -hmm. alcohol-based and they're all refillable. And I use a lot of those. Uh, and I also use the studio markers from Dick Blick and they're refillable. Too. Yeah. I, I, they have a lot of colors that are just really light and read very well on a plan. And I think even before landscape design, I've always been drawn to the greens and the blues and the calming colors. Like I can't sit down and color a coloring page without using the blues and the greens and all of the jewel tones. Yeah. So that suits me really well. It's kind of hard. It's hard sometimes to put down oranges and yellows and yeah, but I'll, I'll use any marker. I just got a pack of paper mates the other day and I love Sharpies. So I'll try whatever. And looking at your drawings, I'm assuming the majority of the color is obviously marker, um, but it looks like you do some highlighting and that with colored pencils as well. Yeah. So a technique that I learned in school from my instructor was to put down colored pencil first and we use Prismacolor put down colored pencil first and then go over the top of it with the alcohol-based markers to kind of blend it and smear it oh. uh, and that gives some really nice definition uh, and just different tonal qualities to the drawing and then um, of course the white pens have become very popular to add highlights back in and they have been so fun I use Molotov uh, acrylic markers. I've done the jelly rolls, but they end up like drying up and not coming out. And then you never want it to be when you're at the end and you have shaken it up or, you know, push the tip down on another piece of paper to get it flowing. And then it just bleh, out yeah. onto the paper. So you have to be kind of careful with those. Nice. Yeah. Um, wonderful. Well, thank you. Yeah. This you're welcome. Fun. I, I appreciate the time so much. You're very welcome. Oh. Thank and, you for having me. And, and I love your podcast and keep doing what you're doing and, um, having on guests because I love to hear how other people approach things. All right. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. And, um, I'd love to have you on again sometime if you'd okay. be interested. Yeah. Thank you again so much for all of your time. I have three last questions to wrap up. 
before I let you go, um, and you can answer these in, in whatever order you want. Um, but what is your favorite part of being a landscape designer? Who inspires you? And what process in your business are you most rigid in following? Okay. What's my favorite part of being a landscape designer? All the new people I get to meet and the fact that I get paid for what I love to do and the fact that I can buy plants as a business expense so that I can see how they perform in my test garden. I love it. How I can buy art supplies for my business and use them freely and at will. I'd have to say those are my favorite parts about being a landscape designer. Who inspires me? Gosh, I just draw inspiration from everywhere. Um, I love I love the community that we have on Instagram. I think there are so many inspiring uh, garden landscape designers, uh, landscape architects. So there's several different accounts that I follow. Uh, and everyone's pretty free with their information exchange, uh, which is so great. And I was so happy when you started this podcast about all the processes because, you know, as a designer, that was my favorite part of school was gathering around the tables when we'd have a design project and seeing how everyone handled the same space differently, figuring out that puzzle. So I'd say that all the other landscape designers uh, and architects on Instagram are a huge inspiration for me. And listening to your podcast, of course, books. I love the Booth and His books for drawing, drawing advice and um, the processes that you can follow to draw. And uh Plan Graphics for the Landscape Designer by Tony Bertowski. That's another fantastic one. And when he contacted me from Instagram and said, will you be a part of my third edition of my textbook? And I was like, who are you? This guy isn't real. I was like, I didn't have this textbook in school. And I looked him up and found out that it was real. And uh, I wish I would have had that textbook in school because it goes through the whole process of meeting the client and then uh, all of the hand drawing. So even if you're not, even if you're drawing digitally, it's so good to have that hand brain coordination to think through and problem solve an area. And then what's one rigid process in your business that you're most rigid in following? I would say scheduling um, and communication with the client. And I hold that in the highest regard. So my biggest pet peeve is other people who don't get back to clients, which is why sometimes it can be hard to recommend some people. So I know that I have found my contractor or person that I want to work with when the client says, oh my gosh, they called me back or they emailed me back. So that's a rule that I won't break. I always try to get back to people within a reasonable amount of time. Or if I can't uh, answer the question that they have right then, I'll say, I don't, I don't know right now, but we sure as heck can find out. Just, just give me a little bit. Yeah. I had so much fun talking to Sarah and I can't wait to have her back on the podcast. And I know that you guys will love it as well. A couple takeaways that I want to highlight from our conversation in case you missed them. I love her method of laying out numerous tape measures in a grid on a site to speed up the measurement process. I will for sure be trying out that method at my next project. I also really loved the advice that she received from a friend regarding scheduling on nights and weekends. Sometimes we can get a little guilty about it and feel like we need to accommodate more, 
but her friend gave her the invaluable advice that you don't have to be so accommodating. If your work is good enough, they will make the time to meet with you. And that is so true. And I think more of us need to hear that. I think it was great to hear a little bit more about Sarah's process for design and organization to keep herself efficient while she's working on drawings and especially loved how she organizes all of her pens in order of line weight so that she can really easily see what she's looking for because I can only imagine the insane quantity of pens and markers that she's got at her fingertips. We met over Zoom to record this, and so I got a little glimpse into what her office space looks like, and I can tell you she's got even more pens than I imagined. It was just glorious to see, and so I love that she's super organized and keeps everything in order so that she can speed along her process. Because as we all know, hand drafting or just drafting in general, whether it's digital or by hand can be time consuming. So making sure that you've got everything you need at your fingertips will keep you speeding along and focused on your project. There are so many other great takeaways, but the last gem from our conversation that I will highlight is around making rules for yourself. Sarah and I are both rule followers, so if you're not, maybe it won't work as well for you, but I love the habit she has around making rules for herself to follow to create boundaries and separation from work and home life. For all of us with home offices, we know it can be easier said than done, but it is really important. You can find more about Sarah and drool over her beautiful drawings by following her at greenthumbsam.com or on Instagram at greenthumbsam. And be sure to tag her or give her a shout out if you've got any comments or inspiration or thoughts from this podcast. To wrap up, I want to thank you for your time. I hope the ideas discussed today have left you feeling excited and energized. As I build both my business and my life, I value the support and feedback you provide. I would love for you to reach out to me to let me know what you think, give me ideas, or just to connect. Please don't forget to subscribe and also share with a friend. Until next time, go create something wonderful.